Good day, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the MedTech Business Academy, sponsored by the MedTechsperts. Very excited today. This is the first recording that we're doing in the brand new year of 2024. Uh, Very much appreciate all the listeners that have been listening for the uh, in 2023 and are waiting with a bated breath uh, for our 2024 uh, podcast to drop. Uh, So we're going to start off the 2024 episode with not necessarily a year in review, but we're going to talk about the year that is to come. Because right now, uh, and, and we were talking about this in pre-production discussion, there is a lot going on uh, in terms of confusion, in terms of angst, in terms of the unknown. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to be trying to shed as much light using statistics, research data, all the stuff that's been published out there to help frame everybody's mindset a little bit further. Uh, Today, I am joined by my esteemed panel of colleagues, Barbara Strain, Mike Sperduti, and Tom Hickey, and we are the MedTech Business Academy. So with that, one of the things that we uh, started talking about in pre-production is just the uh, dynamics of what is going on in the market and, you know, referencing how, you know, fortunately, the four of us, we talked to a wide bastion of people across the industry. And it just seems like, again, a lot of confusion, angst. Is, is there going to be a recovery? Are we in recovery? Are we still in a depression? Are we still in, in just a depressed mode? What is happening? It feels like all of the clients and customers and prospective customers I'm speaking to and my colleagues, I believe, are going to concur here that everybody in the industry just has this full pipeline, but it feels like we're running on a hamster wheel. There's nothing really happening. We're positive feeling good, man, I've got a I've got a pipeline that just feels like it's stronger and is ready to burst, but it's not even dripping yet. And what's going on with that? And one of the things that I love to talk about when I when I talk to people about the industry, whether they're in the industry or not, is, you know, when you always have to look at it on an upstream version. And from us in the med tech industry, the upstream is the provider market. And the most we've ever had to struggle through is the providers having the sniffles and then the med tech gets a cold when that happens, right? And conversely, if the provider market gets the cold, med tech gets the flu. Well, it feels like this is the first time we've ever experienced where the provider market actually has the flu and med tech has pneumonia, right? And I think what we've got to figure out in that context and that analogy is, where is the provider market going to be? Are they going to start getting healthier? Are they going to start feeling better in 2024? Because that's going to determine whether we can come back from the pneumonia that we're currently experiencing. So I'm going to kick it over to Barbara first, who's who's done some incredible research and has some great studies to, to citate um, here, because I'm really excited to just dive into that concept. So Barbara, tell us about some of the things that you've you've been reading about. Sure. Thanks, Kinder. Uh, yeah, we had uh, started to have an animated conversation before we went on air. We said, saved all the energy for this. So um, looking at, you know, everybody has a, here's what's going to happen in 2024. So I've been trying to gather as much as possible to kind of put some themes and things together. What's really happening now, so to your point, is the pipeline, you know, of the of the manufacturers, the tech is really getting full because they couldn't really do a lot of stuff for a while. They came out in 2023. There's a lot of new products, new drugs, all that kind of stuff coming out. But what they have to realize is there's still slim margins. 
on the provider side. Not going away in 2024. And most predict it's going to be through 2025 at least. So what the providers have to focus on is, what am I going to buy? What I, I've got so many balls in the air trying to figure out, do I do M&A? Do I now do a lot of, uh, you know, express doc uh, services? Do I partner with other people? They're just all over the board and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Plus, what do they do with their patient populations? So there's the gap that you see then between those two things happening are not working to the tech advantage and to some extent are uh, not working on the provider side because they're having to make all these decisions. So Barbara, so I, Barbara I just want to... So I, I, have a, Sarah, I have a question just yeah. about... We, so we have a lot of clients, right, where we are... We're setting up qualified appointments for these people. You know, they're with the decision makers. They're moving the ball down to showing that the value of the tech or the device is going to produce significant savings or significant ROI. I mean, it really will help them to make the purchase. It's not going to cost them money at all. It's going to make them more efficient. And even the budget is just a lateral move of the budget. So there's no incremental even pocket expense to get the deal going. So Barbara, in a situation like that, what would be some reasons why that deal will not close like it used to in, let's say, 90 days and now goes into a perpetual, uh, maybe next month, we don't know, we have to get you know another approval, whatever that is. So I know Tom wants to jump in here, but since you directed it to me, <laughs> because there are too many of those decisions out there and they have to prioritize. This is the issue. For example, and in one of these uh, papers that I was looking at is Medtronic is coming out and doing something in a in a sort of disruptive field right now, which is sort of pulse field in cardiology, uh, cardiovascular and stuff. And Boston <laughs> Scientific is going to be on their heels. They come out and say, we're going to be more expensive, plan on it, but we're going to be so much better for you. So there's got to be so many value discussions about that. But if they are still going to pay so much more, it takes the provider longer for that ROI if the, the ROI is more like a value-based ROI versus I'm going to get an ROI in two months because I'm going to get all these new reimbursements and things. That's not what's going to happen too many decision points like that. So I'm calling it the big money squeeze, right? Because there's things out there that should be bought because it's good for your patients or um, patients you haven't ever had seen because you didn't have technology that could help them, et cetera, et cetera. But there's too many dollars involved and you're not gonna see that turnaround in a 2024, 2025, it might take longer to see that turnaround. So I now don't have money to spend on X and Y and Z. So I, you're right, Barbara, I wanted to jump in, but I want to build on that because it was, it was very well stated. 
there's a couple other macroeconomic things going on, I believe, as well. You know, there's first of all, we're going into an election year, right? And what always gets beat up during an election year is healthcare, right? So I think there's a lot of indecision because uh, healthcare provider executives are trying to see how things are going to land. We're also not so sure about what interest rates are going to do. You know, are we going to have a soft <clears throat> landing? Are we going to have a real uh, recession? There's been, you know, a lot of debate about that. Um, there's still a huge labor shortage as well. You know, some of these supply chain departments, uh, not, not to mention clinicians, which are in the headlines, um, have had a lot of challenges with that. So, Mike, I think a lot of this is, as we said at the top of the show, there's been a tsunami, really, of new technologies. I think we all see that, you know, with some of the clients and people. And, and all you got to do is walk through any trade show, right? And you see all this new stuff. There just isn't the bandwidth sometimes to take care of it. And I was talking with somebody the other day uh, uh, that the the ROI is is almost blue sky. It's that good, Right. But they're still dealing with this feeling of they're walking through molasses. And I think all these things have an impact as to, you know, how some of these decisions are being made and when they're being made. You know, Tom, you brought up an interesting point about the, the labor shortage still being a real driver and, and a problem out there. I'm wondering how many deals are put into that terminal. Yeah, we, we, we love the tech. We want to buy it. But the switching cost or the training time mm -hmm. is the reason why the deal isn't happening. Yeah, hundred percent. And that, you know that goes back to a lot of what uh, you know Barbara's expertise and others in the sense of making sure everything is very comprehensive. If if you're the supplier and you've got the the new item, making sure that you've got video based training done right, making sure that all of your value analysis pieces are are dotted at the t's crossed, having all those things done to make that implementation as easy as possible. Not to mention having well qualified uh, clinical educators that you might get from the clinician exchange to help with that process too. So I was just going to, I was thinking about Skender that whole time. So Skender, I mean, I would imagine that you can bring some significant value to that issue where there's that gap between, hey, we need to train, but we don't have the staff to train. And that's the deal holdup. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk to customers all the time about the dynamics of, you know, there's one way to look at implementation as just a cost center. Um, which unfortunately a lot of people do is they're like, oh man, okay, we got the account. That's great. They gave us the green light. We're going on in February one. That's going to cost us a lot of money that we've got to spend to send people out there. However, the inverse of that mindset is if we don't invest the money, A, we've got a higher likelihood that it's going to fail. B, we've got a higher likelihood that our ramp up time to get all the accretion that we were looking for in the total volume of what we were looking to get is gonna take that much longer, right? If you're selling a clinical commodity and you anticipate that, that hospital's usage at 1,000 units per month, well, we all know, you know, if you started an engagement on February 1, you don't get 1,000 units per month. It takes you until at least September to get to that 1,000 unit runway per month. So what happens is a lot of these companies, they're not coming in there with the full force. And even if you do, the challenge is you might get up to that proper run rate that we were all experiencing, you know, getting up to 600 units per month by May, June, and now there's turnover in the hospital and you're back down to 200 units. 
So what we're advising customers is stop looking at it as an expense center, looking at it as a profit center, put everything you can to getting everything done on February 1st through March 31st. Because the reason why is if you can get that 1000 unit a month run rate pulled up to June, everything's paid for itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a different dynamic that, that people need to start looking at. It's not a question of if you can do that. We hear a lot of companies being like, well, you know, we want to work with you, but we're going to work with the skeleton crew. That's fine. I get why you're doing that. Those are the resources that you have at hand right now, but you are putting the full jeopardy of the opportunity as the way you're weighing it in full jeopardy to just quote myself there. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, I, I want to speak to this a little bit more here from the perspective of, you know, we're talking about the provider and med tech dynamic. And I want to quote a, uh, a, a something that just came about. Uh, I read a lot of Kaufman Hall. I know Barbara does too. She, she looks at their information. I know a lot of the provider market. They just put out this report yesterday called the National Hospital Flash Report. And I thought it was really in, in, in impressive in, in its summation of what's happening. So let's look at this from a good Good news, bad news perspective, okay? So we're talking about margins. Well, good news is hospital margins, according to them, have jumped 20% year over year in 2023. Yay, good job, hospitals, great job. 2022 to 2023, they saw 20, 20, uh, 20, uh, sorry, 20% jump. Now, in their bottom line margins, their EBITDA operating margins, okay, they're showing a 9% jump. Great job. Again, hospitals, fantastic. That's great. Now let's look at it through the magnifying glass, okay? One, even with those jumps, they're still down about 10% respectively before pre-pandemic levels, okay? And if anybody knows anything about hospital margins, basically it's them and grocery stores that compete for the same pennies, right? So if you're still 10% below where you were at grocery store, single unit margins, you're struggling. Now let's look at those margins in the context of expenses, okay? So again, 20% on the gross, 9% on the operating EBITDA, nice job. But compared to expenses, they've gone up 20% net from 2020. Labor and supply expenses, labor expenses are up 20%. Supply expenses are up 23% since 2020, right? The hospital hospital expense sheet isn't that hard to figure out. It's pretty much made up of 55% labor, 45% expense. So if both of those are over 20% increase in cost, You've got a business model that is really difficult to run. So, Mike, coming back to your story, when you're preaching to them the next greatest slice of bread that they've got, okay, and they're looking at everything else that's this incredible slice of bread, it's more about where do I spend my time in this environment that has completely threatened my business model and my livelihood. So are their net operating margins negative? Uh, so let's 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 dive in a little bit faster here. Let's talk about this. The market they they do an actual pretty good job of breaking it down into five regions. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the best region. The best region that they indicate is the South. God bless the South. 
I know they're upset. They didn't have an SEC school <laughs> in, in the championship this year. Okay. And I know they think it was robbed for them, but outside of that, right. South had done pretty well. Their operating margins their gross operating margins are 19% increase. Yay. Good job. Fantastic. No, I'm sorry. 19%. Their net, their, not their net, but it's their EBITDA margin is at 6%. So let's talk about the, let's talk about the other four regions. The next best region is at minus four percent. Okay, so I, and then you go all the way down to the extreme. The worst one in the West is minus thirty six percent. Hospitals are their business model is threatened. They're struggling. And, you know, I think the summation of the story here is if we're still as med tech employing the same types of techniques and the way we're talking to customers today about, hey, I've got the next greatest slice of bread, pay attention to me, that's lost in the noise. There has to be something that we're talking about that aligns with their needs. Your business model is threatened. Let me tell you how I can help unthreaten that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, you're right on. The data tells the story, you know, the data tells the story. So that's the gap we were trying to identify. So thanks for bringing some data in to do that. Um, there's got to be so much intelligence going on out there and you're doing your market. Everybody's now going to flood the South after they hear about this. Yeah. They said, oh, pretty good down there. And we'll give them, you know, some sweet tea and a few of those. It things. is snowbird season, to be fair. I know <laughs> it is. It is snowbird season. But so um, they're, fun they're funding operations by debt, right? I mean, if you're losing money, the only way that you can survive is to borrow money, right? Uh, and it's kind of a losing proposition today, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, because interest interest rates. Well, and, and this is interesting because I just started learning about zombie companies, right? Are you guys familiar with the term mm -hmm. zombie company? Yeah. And it's basically a company that is surviving like Sears and JCPenney, mm -hmm. where they're in business, but their debt is so big that they have to, they're never going to pay the debt back ever, 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 ever. And the only way that it'll survive is to continue to borrow money. So and at some point it implodes and it goes back, but it's it's a ticking time bomb. So it'd be interesting to see if you applied that zombie analysis, which there's you know smart people that know how to do that. Where is this industry relative to that equation? So let me toss another thing at you, Mike, because you know uh, some of the smart business individuals that are on this uh, this panel here, right? If you're confronted with a business model that's looking like the way those statistics and data that Skinder just tossed out. If you're running an organization, your next step is to go, well, how do I find new products, new services, new higher margin activities, right? But we all know, we've talked about it in an earlier podcast, a lot of those high margin activities are leaking out. They're going to the physician-owned ASCs. They're going to the offices. They're going to other areas that the hospitals no longer get as high of a reimbursement or any reimbursement for those procedures. So now some of your best areas to go, okay, I could grow my business over here with this uh, bank of services. Well, guess what? Those are all moving over somewhere else. 
right? So that there's a whole nother area of heartburn to think about. Is that where like an integrated health system would really be beneficial at this point? Because, you know, you have your loss leader maybe with the hospital, but you have these other verticals that are going to pick up the margin. And that would be how it all survives is like, you know, your, your acute care may be losing money, but your well, alternate care is making we'll toss money. It, we'll toss it over to Barbara, who can talk about reimbursements in those areas. Yeah. So generally reimbursement and this is out there that's been uh 2023 2024 still there was a backlog of at least three months in reimbursements and they're just starting to trickle through but the the thing of it is is that i don't want to lose my train of thought here so the i had a really good thing but the the Thing of it is, is that those backlogs and all those surgeries that occurred over COVID and all that kind of stuff, the cardiology backlogs are all cleared. The orthopedics are still probably never going to be, you know, cleared and things. But uh, remind me, Tom, what was the, the oh. question? <laughs> we're we're talking about the migration of procedures going to other areas. Oh and yeah, what those reimbursements might look like. Right. So. And the the other thing about all that, besides moving them and things, you may not have the the physical space. You may not have the staff there. You may not have uh, experienced people to take on those things. So you have so you can't just say, well, we're going to move all this stuff. So even if you're an integrated system, you could be. Uh, you know, confined to physical space and things. But in the outpatient setting and in others, the the reimbursement changes so much. And you have to run so lean in order to make money in those areas. So there's just one thing after another. And, and before I get this point, because I've been trying to make it here for a little bit, is um, also... Because cardiology, those big money makers, cardiology, orthopedics, interventional radiology type procedures and things were just so high. And those devices cost a lot and all of those sorts of things. The, the market that's not penetrated much is all of those chronic disease states, compounded with the fact that you have rural hospitals closing by the droves, where are those people going to go? But now they won't go anywhere until they're so sick, they got to come to expensive place, et cetera, et cetera. It just is this conundrum. So if you put together like a bunch of Venn diagrams and try to solve for all of that, it's very um, confusing out there. And, and the hospitals aren't any different. You know, the hospitals aren't any different than anybody else, right? It, one of the things that, that we're definitely seeing in the market is just like the consumer dollar and the consumer interest, right? CES is happening right now, or maybe just wrapped up in Las Vegas, the big uh, consumer expo show. Um, and, you know, I, I have a friend who's in the tech world and he was out there and everything there is about AI and robotics, right? AI and robotics. No, no, no shock. That's what the entire show is. And what we're seeing is, the investments, the investors from the VCs, the PEs, 
to the family offices, all the way up to the banks, basically stopped any sort of investment uh, through the most through the majority of 2023. Well, they didn't really start to unlock those investment dollars until about Q4. And all those investment dollars veritably went to AI, robotics, and anything of the like. And the hospitals are pursuing that. So if you don't have a way today to suggest that your technology in some way, shape, or form aids in that dynamic where there's going to be some sort of AI, AI robot, AI platform that determines everything from acuity to which procedures are done on which patients and when. And if your product can't blend in that, you're going to be left behind. You're not going to get a seat at the back table. So I think it would be fascinating because, you know, a lot of this, if, if I'm, you know, because I am listening to this as I'm engaging in the conversation, and it's really shocking to think about it, right? I mean, to think about what is going on and the monumental challenge that we as a community are facing. And since we're supposedly the experts, right, it'd be interesting for us to do a part two on this. That would be, okay, we've identified some significant problems. Now, what would be interesting to me would be, hey, what products are going to really thrive in this environment specifically? What departments are the ones we should be concentrating on? Because they do, there's a greater chance of being successful. Barbara, your point about marketing to the South makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's people listening to this. If you have a choice about where to go first, you know, what areas and then what verticals and then what messaging? Right. So if we were to be able to lay out those things in a, you know, and so each of us came prepared for that with answers to this, I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of stuff out there, but you've got to think with that sort of uh, crosswalk in mind, like you were talking about, Mike, or else you'll go crazy trying to read everything and kind of put some dots on it. Um, palliative care renal care, cardiology care, those are some uh, key focuses because there's just a lot going on in those areas because there's still a lot of sick people and they're not getting any better from any of that. And CMS now has more policies and they're they're called in, in a, one of the article from um, the hospitology, which is one of my new little uh, Gems I found is those are the bellwether for the entire industry are the CMS reimbursement policies. And they're coming out with things all of the time. And then FDA keeps calling out even established products for now not being safe because of environmental and other issues that are potentially harming patients like you know chemicals from cleaning cleaning agents have gotten so strong because you know we've got to kill all the superbugs well now all the odors and things emanating from us are harming patients so it's just and i have a client who has a product that's not a cleaning product but it's involved with some neonatal areas and things like that and now gas emissions from the actual product as it comes to you brand new it's like the new car smell 
Uh, mm. Medical equipment has the same sort of thing as you have a lot of outgassing and stuff. So between government agencies, uh, we're never going to get out of the, you know, endobronchial uh scopes and all that kind of stuff hell it just keeps piling on and everybody's in it, so you gotta know um, am i providing a safe environment for my patients so you have all these things that are going on it's just too much yeah barbara i had the word regulatory written down here and um you know it, putting your hospital ceo hat back on and knowing that it takes you know really about five years to get the brick and mortar together to build a building for a new service you know how do you do that because the 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 ball is moving so quick that trying to do some of that planning and and dealing with all of those pieces and how the speed of change of all those pieces is really really um a, a challenge these days yeah i was involved in lots of different building plans over the 40 years of my career and those plans start out eight years five years whatever ahead of time and by the time you get to the fact that now you're like getting ready to open and you see some new sort of uh regulations and guidelines coming out whether it's joint commission or whatever it is now you've got to go back and retrofit or you've got to do things. And so it's happening, like you said, much at a much faster pace because those agencies realized during COVID that if they weren't wor working fast enough, I mean, you actually had to follow FDA two or three times a day to get the latest update about a mask or a, a gown or something like that. So. But Mike, I liked your question, right? Putting ourselves back in the med tech chair going, okay, so you've got this whole landscape, right? I mean, I kind of feel like we've all been Debbie Downers here for the last half hour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so how do we, how do we deal with that? Right. You know, how do we kind of push through that and, and take a, a product or a concept and commercialize it and have it, have it be successful? You know, I, I think that's a very interesting question. Mm -hmm. And I also think, you know, I'm thinking about what would be cool is to do like a, a marketing message makeover. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's a message that would would have worked five years ago, two years ago. And now this is how the message needs to look today with that same exact product. Right. So that way you can see a you can see how you should be positioning differently today than you positioned yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is I where mean, the, uh, go ahead, Barbara. No, I was going to say, remember when we started out about four years ago, we did webinars and we took, said we have to throw out the 1980s playbook. We yeah. actually have to throw out like the 2022 playbook or the 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where the, uh, I, I see marketing departments and the med tech companies really making their money. And the reason why is, you know, MedTech is so focused on the sale today. And sales is ultimately the executor of a one to three month tactical window. It's marketing that sets the strategy for the six months and beyond. And I think the marketing people today, and, and I was inspired by one that I met with yesterday, uh, a client and a good friend uh, who really, he has a mechanical device um, and 
he was telling me that their strategy that they're focusing on for mid-year is tied into the consumer trends of AI and everybody else's vision of AI. Their product has nothing, has no digital component whatsoever. What they are doing is modifying their story to suggest that by using their device at the point of care, okay, which is a hospital-wide product used by nurses and phlebotomists, using their product at that point of care, if you use their product successfully, you will get better readings in the blood cultures that you're providing. Therefore, when that information gets uploaded into a database that's ultimately going to be driven by an AI decision engine, you're going to effectively give it higher integrity of data and therefore be able to create a dynamic that allows the AI engine to determine how you approach these procedures and how you manage that patient. Again, it's not, it's a leap when you look at it, how they got from A to Z. And if you only look at it that way, but when you look at it about how they crafted the story, and how they put it together, it makes sense. And I think that should be the inspiration for how we all have to, and we don't all have to be thinking about AI, right? But we do all have to be thinking about is where the hospital is going to invest their dollars to write their engine for tomorrow, okay? And they're going to be looking to get leaner. They're going to be looking to try to find a way to create more efficient management of the various therapies that they and practices that they put out there. And so therefore we as med tech need to align our stories to that philosophy. And that's all this person did is they're yeah. thinking of tomorrow. Six degrees to AI. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I don't I, I don't want to forget the fact that the last time, you know, we attributed to or podcast to Ernst and Young and all those sorts of folks and things. I I do want to give credit to the medtech dive and the healthcare dive. They actually just came out this week and so I ate them up, but they do a really good job for med, both medtechs, but medtechs don't should just not read things about medtech. They need to read things about the provider because that's where you're going to get. So whatever you subscribe to, there, I, I subscribe to over 50 things that I get every single day, and I kind of take time to sort of chew them up and what spits out and what sort of stays and that sort of thing. But you've got to be looking at all those things. And it's not just relying on someone with your own in, within your organization to feed it to you. You should be educating yourselves out there, no matter what your role is, and pick a few of them that help you so you can speak intelligently and educate the customers you're calling on and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting it's, philosophy is educating the customer. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, kind of build on that and in, in, in immersing yourself into your own market, right? And really investing that time because, you know, that's going to give you the themes that you need. But, and you know, that's that's kind of a good place to start. So let's uh, let's let's do a wrap up here and everybody give their their final thoughts, because, um, you know, again, I think we've shared a lot of information. I think we've told everybody what's, you know, kind of some of the things to watch out for. And, and there's a lot more throughout the year that I think we're going to start to identify new solutions. 
But let's just uh, do a wrap up here. Barbara, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Um, my whole thing I kicked off with was the big money gap, the the money squeeze, trying to decide, you know, what you're really going to spend it on. So I'm going to wear my tried and true hat and say it's all about your value story. Uh, you've got to know what it is. How do you really go in there? Uh, Mike had some comments about that, but you've got to do more research. You've got to really answer those questions so that you can partner, so you can collaborate with people. Uh, figure that out before you go in there and say, I got the next thing since sliced bread, but you can't even afford you know, a loaf of bread. Good point. Tom? I just wrote down, it's a brave new world. Um, in the sense of, I mean, you think about it a moment, especially if you're a med tech company and you're you're thinking global. I mean, we just talked about the United States, but you've got Europe, you've got uh, Canada, you've got Asia, you know, you've got all these other uh, communities and marketplaces that have their own levels of regulation and all this stuff going on, right? So it's really a, a difficult situation to try to navigate through all of that. And, uh, you know, you really got to pick and choose some of your markets and pick and choose some of your battles. Yeah. Mike. So I'm incredibly fired up after this podcast because I think you know, for me personally, you know, I love what we do. I love the world of sales. I love selling in this environment. And I believe that this is a tremendous opportunity. If you can solve these problems, you're going to be able to be a leader. And there's always people that rise in these times that set the new standards to become the leaders. And so I'm inspired by, I've been listening to a lot of my customers you know, when I formulate sales programs and marketing messages, that information's coming from the customer to me. And I think what Barbara said is it's so basic and so important is you got to understand their customer because ultimately they're not doing the work to understand their customer. So we're getting, you know, so we're facilitating the, on based on the knowledge that we have. And I don't think the knowledge that we have is the knowledge that we need to succeed. So I do love the idea of now my mindset's gonna be to study that end user problem and start creating messaging and solutions that are gonna work for them that ultimately that'll work for the client. So I appreciate this podcast. Thank you guys for putting this together. Love the passion, Mike. I, I think Sorry. it's the right approach. So my final thought is frankly, uh, hope is not a strategy. Um, and I think everybody pretty much since the beginning to mid of 2023 has been waiting and hoping that there's going to be this V-shaped recovery um, to everything. And uh, Fitch, uh, the Fitch rating agency recently put out a report saying that we will not have a V-shaped recovery. There will be a recovery, but it won't be V-shaped. And you don't have to be Adam Smith or John Maynard Keynes or, uh, you know, some sort of economist to be able to determine what is a V-shaped recovery versus a U-shaped recovery. It's just an elongated process, okay? And therefore, we have to adapt. You have to adapt, and 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 it, throughout evolutionary times, those that have adapted best have been those that have always thrived. And this is the time we've been saying it constantly 
And I know there were some people that were like, oh, I'm sick of adapting. I adapted in 2020, I adapted in 2021, <laughs> and I did, wait, what's going on? Well, just because you didn't have to adapt for 20 years before that, doesn't mean that adaptation is a one and done type of thing. You have to look at the environment, you have to look at the circumstances and find a way to adapt to the needs of the environment today. And that's the one thing that I, I would like to leave people with. So with that, thank all the panelists. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. We wish everybody a very healthy, happy, and prosperous 2024. Despite the pangs, there is a recovery. That was the positive note to have out there. There is positivity. There is growth happening. You just have to find a way to create it. And the med tech experts are here to hopefully provide some light in, in, in some of the shady that is out there. So good luck, everybody. Please listen to uh, next episodes of the MedTech podcast coming up uh, in the subsequent weeks and months. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.